Hey guys, good morning, and we are continuing on this morning with, uh, we're going to round out Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to focus on verses 18 to the end, but I'll add in verse 17 just to to give it context. So uh, here it is. Uh, Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So again, Paul uh, uh, is in, is just exhorting the Philippians to follow his example, and then he's just reminding them of, um, well, this is a new thing in a sense. Um, we've heard so much about the legalists, those who would um, impose the law, not as a beautiful way of following God, but as... Uh, you know, you first have to kind of come under the law, whether it's circumcision or whatever, and then you become a believer. You know, he's 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 incensed by the idea of it's grace plus anything. But on in this case, Paul is he's talking about the opposite end of the spectrum. He's not talking about legalism. He's talking about what we call antinomianism or against the law, which is the idea of. You can do whatever the heck you want. It's, you know, no rules. Uh, And he is laying out those folks who would believe that they can uh, follow Jesus but live however they want, make up their own rules, uh, deny the parts of the the word or the law or um, a full following of Jesus that, that don't comply with their lifestyle or their wishes or their desires, their idols. And just set those aside. He would say he calls them enemies of the cross. Uh, it's it's really harsh language, and he gives a couple of um, examples of what that looks like. He says that their God is their bellies, their God is their stomach. Not meaning necessarily he's critical of exact food they eat, but just essentially the whole idea of you know that they're led around by the pleasures of the world. This is a phrase that I my family would tell you I use all the time when we're you know being consumed by our needs or our desires for the day and not on the more important task that might be at hand, I'll say, you know, look, you know, our God's not our belly. We're not led around by our stomachs. Uh, We can wait to eat or we can wait to do this or that fun thing until after we get the important work done that we have to do. And he says that their glories and their shame. He's essentially saying here that they're, that they're finding, uh, they're finding they're, they're, they're relishing in and they're finding, you know, uh, approval and joy from things they do that ought to be, that would be shameful if they were living for Christ. And he's saying, look, the, you can't evaluate your life this way, guys, because this is, this is, that might be a worldly principle to get acclamation and, 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 and awards and, and, and worldly honor for accomplishments that God would call shameful, but your citizenship isn't ultimately in this world. It's your citizenship is in heaven. And he says, you know, you're, you're a sojourner, you're an alien here on earth, so that you, you, have to, you have to kind of understand the way the world works and the way the rules work. And even says elsewhere, 
that we have to fall under the authority of the ruling government. But ultimately, he says that when we're citizens, that we're citizens of a different government, of a higher government, and we, we, we fall under the government of God, and we, we share in the highest honors of, of heaven, and we have property rights and, and, and the pleasures and, the, and the, the property. We're heirs to all the property of heaven as we're entitled to certain things because of our citizenship, and we will not live um, we won't communicate the same way. Um, we, we, our pledge of allegiance ultimately is not to this world, but to, um, but to the place of our absolute, you know, citizenship as we're born again into the kingdom of God. This is where our ultimate, um, patriotism, I guess I would say, it's the wrong word because to compare love of heaven with love of country isn't really the same thing. Um, you know, there's a contrast between what it means to be a citizen of earth, the way Paul describes it here, and to be uh, citizens of heaven. You know, the citizens of earth are basically described as those who might be led around by their bellies and might glory in shameful things. But the citizens of heaven are those who have been transformed by the power, you know, of Jesus. And so, um, you know, there's a ton of ways in which this would have been just an absolutely rebellious uh, passage to have been read and heard at that time. To acknowledge Jesus as Lord is to say that Caesar is not the Lord. That term Lord was applied to Caesar and to Caesar only. Hold on one second. <coughs> Excuse me. Not the coronavirus, I promise. Um and, you know, to, to apply the term Lord to anyone other than Caesar was treasonous. And, and you could be martyred for applying this to, to Jesus. And this is such a marked way in which Paul is calling the believers of Philippi out to be followers and citizens of, of the kingdom of God with, a, with King Jesus and that, and that their allegiance would fall there. And he's saying that the way that we become under the control of this kingdom is to allow Jesus by grace to transform us um, into his likeness, that we might be like him, that we might be able to comply and follow him by grace because of the transformation of the transforming work that he does in our lives. And so, you know, it says in this passage that he is able to bring everything under his control. And this is not because he's presses us down uh, and subdues us, you know, in some sort of chokehold. I mean, I, you don't have the picture here of like a, you know, a police takedown or something like this. Um, he is totally omnipotent. He's totally powerful. But the thing is, is he wins us. He's winsome. He draws us to himself by his grace, by his love, by showing us that he's able to overcome every dark and and dangerous thing, even death itself, by the power of the resurrection. And when he applies that that resurrection power uh, that's in his own life to our lives, um, we are given not just the power to overcome sin and this this worldly desire, but we're given uh, the desire to do so. Um, and so, um, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would subdue all things. Uh, not just the sins of our past, but the 
stuff in our life now that might cause us to be led around by our stomach or to glory in our shame. Um, we hand over all of these things to you, Jesus. We, we ask you to subdue everything in our life that's not for you. And we bring everything under your strong, omnipotent, powerful hand. And we trust, Lord, uh, that you can do uh, that we would be of good cheer, that we would be of uh, encouraged because we know we cannot do all these things in and of our own power, but we trust that you can. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.